0: Welcome to Mr. Binge's ADD experience live for Tuesday, November 9, 2021. We're back doing another interview slash discussion slash developer talk creative session with Michael Crehan today. He is coming at us, uh, from, from Irvine, uh, knew this guy back in rockstar games. We met, met on some good common ground. I learned he was a programmer, developer, just vibed with him on a lot of good aspects and now he's doing big things at Google. Didn't realize it's been so long since I've known this guy, but you know how time passes on the internet. We're going to get him on today to talk about some good things and really get into his development psyche. Very interesting person, uh, I think, and I'm glad to have him on for this one. So we're going to get him in here pretty soon. But for those of you who are, are new to this, be sure to like, follow, subscribe, and be sure to check us out on all the podcast streams, Instagram, obviously, um, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Without too much further ado, we're going to go ahead and make this one happen. Been waiting to do this one for a little bit, so hope everybody's here, What's up, Mike? How you doing? I'm great. How are you doing Benjo? Good. Good. You know, I've, um, uh, of all, of all the people I've wanted to set up an interview with yours, I think I've done the, the most reshuffling of the questions in my head. I don't <laughs> want to approach this. I'm like, okay, get Mike on here. Let me see. We can go from the, this point of view, the directing, the photography, <laughs> so many little touch points, you know, it's gonna be fun. I know. <laughs> so first off, just in, in general, how are you, uh, how, how are you feeling? Um, how's everything going?
1: Actually, uh, today I got my booster shot, and that stuff makes me hyper. So it's kind of like cocaine to me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm in a good mood right now. I actually brought some beer just to make sure I'm not going too high. <laughs> if that doesn't work, I got some peanut butter whiskey on standby. All right. Just, just to make sure we're,
0: we're good. but. Yeah. I think, I think we'd be good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. Things are good. You know, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was doing my podcast way back in the day when Raph and I first started doing hey, podcasts. You. Yeah. The yes, A-Q yeah. Pod, well, the, the Pie out podcast before that, um, we were just sitting around and talking noise and Raph was like, record these. And w- me, Marcellus, Jeff, and uh, Raph was sitting around and we're like, all right, let's start recording. We just started recording them. And I remember going through the process of figuring out how to, you know, FTP audio files up to a server in a way that iTunes could read it and the RSS feeds were getting read correctly. And I, I just remember thinking like, dude, no one's checking for this stuff. What's going on? And you didn't have the same kind of analytics we have now. And then I think you mentioned one time, it's like, Hey, uh, what's up with your feed? and I was like, <laughs> Oh, I thought, okay, cool. Somebody's checking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, even, even back then, uh, you had it going on and we're keeping me, keeping everybody around you sharp. So just want to say thanks for that. And maybe without you, I wouldn't be here doing this the way I am now.
1: I think everybody feeds off everybody in some way or another. Like,
0: yeah. So really quick, mm-hmm. so really quickly, uh, give us a generic overview, uh, high level origin story of who you are, uh, what you do and quick bit on how you got here.
1: I was born way too long ago, back in Germany by accident. That's my mom told me. And I started programming when I was eight. I also started playing with uh, super eight camera when I was around that age. And yeah, Rob. Well, in my teens, I knew I wanted to be, but moved to the U.S. Right? After military service, I went straight to the Games. In the opposite way you did, by the way, you can talk about that later. Like you were all prepared. I was not prepared at all. I just got it by accident. So I was just fooling around in Germany for a while and eventually got, um, well, I got to college in the U.S. I couldn't work because I didn't have a permit, but I got to at least uh, study. And then get some jobs in uh game companies ended up at midway at some point at rockstar and after 20 years games i decided that's enough i went to google and i've been there since today is actually my
0: sixth year at google congratulations thank you yeah you're obviously a-, a googler i i was I, I didn't know the term i didn't know the internal term so i was like uh googling googleite but uh, googler Makes perfect sense. Yeah. For the first year, you're a You get
1: this hat right here when you graduate. And that's your nuclear hat. You're a nuclear for a year. If you have a dog, you're a noogler. If you leave the company, you're a noogler. And there's googlets. These are kids of googlers. Yeah. And there's a bunch of this stuff. That, uh, that seems very appropriate for that company, just from what I know of them on the outside. They're pretty goofy on the inside, really. Like all our tools have like the most ridiculous
0: names. Yeah. So, real quick, let me jump back. When you said you, uh, you, you, so you were in the military, like, out of high school in Germany? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that lasted for how long?
1: That was 10 months. 10 months. Okay. Like, just mandatory service. Oh,
0: mandatory. Okay. Back then, yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's funny. I was, I've been talking to a lot of, well, several military people who are in, in the civilian field now, I guess. And there's a certain ethic that, that a lot of them follow. And I think it's, it's good and healthy just that to at least have the experience of the military mindset of getting something done and getting in there. So I didn't know that about you, but that totally makes sense with your personality. I don't know if that, you know, that makes sense or not. <laughs> it does. And it forms your definitely, and I'm glad I did
1: it. And that it was only 10 months and not, I mean, four years or something. So it's a good nemo- enough time to absorb, uh, the environment to absorb the discipline. Yeah. And it's very formative and helpful.
0: Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't see it that way. So what's like, what, uh, what's formative and helpful about it? Do you think? Couple of things. I mean, yeah, you
1: learn how to just suck up bullshit because if there's a period tells you something, I mean, you gotta shut the fuck up. You just take it and you just say, well, that's how it is. And I'll just deal with it. in some cases, that's just the way you have to do it. Even when you get a job later on, there's battles you can, you can fight and there's battles, you just have to, you just have to leave it as. uh, also you learn structure. I mean, you have to be up at a certain time. You have to clean your room every day, you have to clean the bathroom every day. You have to be at lunch at a certain time, you have these very, uh, strict um, setups in your life that you just have to adhere to and of course, you learn lots of things about uh, cleanliness, cleaniness, orderness. you learn how to fold your your shirts in a certain way. Um, I see my wife is um she's thinking right now, and she's gonna disagree with me being like all neat and clean, <laughs> but you do learn stuff about how to organize your clothes and it's just stuff like that, and th- repetitiveness, just lots of things that come up later in life it just prepares it forward
0: yeah now that sounds like you would um that sounds like it prepared you for getting into the uh american workforce or the games workforce at least um just that necessary structure and get in and kind of do it mentality but you say you weren't ready i wasn't ready no you said you weren't like uh as prepared to start working um in uh, at least programming, uh, programming career, but uh, Oh, you mean, um, how I apply for a job? Oh yeah. I mean, you said to me, absolutely. Um, sorry,
2: I'm just trying to, rem-
1: um, remember what context because I did, was it about the
0: application for the game job? No, I don't know. You, you, uh, that. so I don't know how you got in the industry. When I got in, I don't have I was in school and said to myself, Uh, all right. Working for Motorola is bullshit. Um, working for Eli Lilly's IT department. I love the company, but that's nonsense. That's not what I want to do, et cetera, et cetera. And there just all these companies, Lockheed Martin, Abbott, et cetera, but they just seemed boring. Um, and that's what kind of led me away from that. And video games got me into technology in the first place. So I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm taking the plunge. I'm just going to, I was working in the career development center at the time, actually, in both my undergrad and my grad work, I was working in the career development center. So getting to the point where I'm telling people, yes, you need to be very serious about your, your career choices. And then they hear about me wanting to go into video games, which wasn't kind of a thing at the time, you know, just to have a career, it wasn't as big and, there weren't schools like Full sale or structured programs. So for me, it was kind of out there to do that. And, yeah, you know, I wanted to co- contrast that with maybe your experience, how you decided, hey, I'm going to get in here and do this. I'm going to find my my way into Midway. So how did that happen for you? Yeah, for me, it was the opposite, basically. Yeah, I started playing games when I was eight.
1: I was one of the first pretty much in school to have a home computer and to play games and so, therefore, I started writing code. Mm-hmm. And I started writing games at age 10. I mean, of course, they sucked, but I just wrote stuff. At some point, I had an Amiga. I wrote lots of Amiga stuff. And in my teens, it was pretty clear to me, okay, this is what I do. I make video games. Okay. And so, I never even went to school. I just graduated from high school, did my military service. And while I, even before I finished my military service, I already went, to a company nearby, and I was like, yo, I want to work for you guys. Uh, the difference with how you did it is, I mean, by the way, if anybody hasn't listened to your interview with Diaz on the other play podcast, they have to, oh, this (laughs) amazing (laughs) episode Two, (laughs) listen to it. But I mean, you described how you prepared for it by, um, just like researching every single company in detail and writing a customized cover letter and being very specific targeting the company. I was a total dumbass. I just sat, rolled over there with no preparation whatsoever, showed them the demo didn't work. It just crashed right away. And I just said the dumbest things. Like, they were like, why do you want to make video games? I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? Stuff like that. You know, it made sense to me at that time, but of course it was just some stupid thing to say. And they were clear, we're not, hi- not going to hire this guy. But I had applied, but- while I was still in the military service, I came back to my city. I'm like, hey, remember me? I was here two months ago and I said, I want to work here. Can I work here now? And they're like, who the fuck are you? They forgot about me. That's why they gave me a job. They forgot they about you completely. Yes. Yes. If they had remembered me, they would have never <laughs> given me a job. But good thing is they forgot who I was and they were like, okay, I guess some random kid has just give them like peanuts. It paid me like 200 bucks in the first month. But yeah, and they didn't employ me. It just made like, it just made me a contractor. Okay, I like, not yeah, just write code and I wrote, I wrote code and it was good. And that's how my career started. And once you get your foot in the door, it's, it's okay, but just getting in is the hard part.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. What, um, what did you start programming on when you were younger? If you remember? Um, at the company or as a kid? As a kid. As a kid. Uh, everything
1: I made, text adventures, I made platform games. On the Amiga, I had a friend, one of my closest friends was an artist. And so we were planning to make this racing game. And it was actually really cool. It ran at 50, uh, 50 frames per second, which was for Amiga. Pretty good. Yeah. It had like a dynamic streaming system. It was actually from a code point of view, pretty awesome. But of course things, little well, you know, it's not team. I never really finished it. I just wrote some stuff and never completed it. But yeah, I wrote a bunch of different things and we From a technical point of view, actually pretty cool,
0: but I've never finished anything. So was that a, like, how did you get access to that computer? I remember when I was young, I started screwing around with, you know, figuring out all of the, I was the the kid who was trying to figure out all of the buttons on the VCR, figure out how to get rid of the flashing 12 o'clock, you know, uh, I'd go over to my friend's house and see the flashing 12 o'clock and I'm like, hold on, give me a second. I'll go eat with you in a second, but I've got to fix your VCR. Cause this is bugging me kind of thing. And that became my, you know, thing, just kind of figuring out all these little buttons and stuff. And one day my mother brought me a Commodore Vic 20 she saw it at a, at a garage sale. She was like, she was like, uh, to my dad, he was like, Earl, let's just give it to him, see what he does with it. He's going to play around either. He'll keep on playing around or whatever. And my dad was like, ah, he's got to plug it up to a TV. Now he's going to be using the TV and we already have the game system. And you know, my dad was like, "Yeah, whatever. He'll learn something. So it was the Commodore of 20. And I found out that you could actually program games on there. I was like, okay. And, and that changed everything. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my kind of entry. And, um, I see that you had a similar, something with the, with the, um, Amiga. So that comes up a lot in discussions, the, the, the Amiga system. So I'm glad we had that, that little camaraderie there because uh, I, I don't think I've ever spoken with you about that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was good times. Amiga was a great machine. It was, and it was made for, like, coders. Like, people who just like, write quick and dirty code. It had such good hardware. It was, it was ahead of its time. My first computer was a ZX spectrum. It's like this British computer. I don't think people in the US really know it that well. And I know of it, but I yeah, I don't know. It. Yeah. It wasn't mine. My mom bought it for my dad as a present, but he was always busy. He never really did anything with it at all. And I'm like, what's that? I just started, you know, playing with it. And eventually I was just obsessed and I just spent pretty much all day, every day with it. Mm. And yeah, I started writing code at basic and a year later, I started writing code in assembly. And I just kept writing. My parents never told me to get away from it. So I just, you know, spent hours and hours and hours every day just writing code. And in a way, I mean, I kind of missed out on a lot of, you know, that childhood thing people do. Like I didn't spend as much time (laughs) being out and about and playing soccer with my friends, but
0: at that the same time I could yeah that, that that childhood thing that people do that's comedy <laughs> right
1: but maybe that's why now I'm so into sports
0: and making up for all the things I didn't do back then yeah yeah definitely um and, and I do want to do want to touch on that at some point uh it, it, it's funny um now were you were, did you come from a and you mentioned, I don't want to gloss over this. You said you kind of started, and then a very short time later, you were doing assembly programming. Yeah. That sounds nuts to me.
2: It's, I was eight years old when I saw the basic. I was nine
1: when I saw the assembly. And I think they are languages. And as a yeah, kid, yeah. it's easy to pick up languages, mm-hmm. which is something I regret with my kids. I never managed to teach them other languages. I was trying to raise them bilingually, but it doesn't really it's not easy. So I gave up on it. But it's so easy for kids to pick up languages. And I think for me I was just I was the right age and I just understood it eventually.
0: Yeah. I uh I didn't go that that I didn't go into assembly. I somehow I was introduced no, I remember actually, um a friend of my brother's who was a programmer or who was into computers he found uh he found out that I had a programmer i i had a programming language on my computer my big 20 or whatever and i was doing stuff on it so when i got my next computer he he came by and gave me a copy of c and pascal so that took me out of basic and quick basic very quickly and i was like oh here we go and i you know i was like oh i can shut down the computer just by <laughs> Messy memory address and see okay this is this is awesome. you know my mom's trying to type something, and she's like, "What have you done?" And they're like, oh, uh. up <laughs> <Damn> stuff <laughs> so um before uh, before we go on um let, let's uh I'll get back to some of the the programming stuff at if it's necessary well, in a little bit, but one thing I wanted to point out is. I've always respected you as a creator and somebody who just gets in and does it, but I never, I don't know exactly when, how we met, but it was very early on. I remember, and it was either me, it was me, Pete and Raf around at some point and your name came up blah, blah, blah. We're doing something. Mike Cree And I'm like, Mike, mean the programmer guys. Yeah. Okay. And somehow your name came up and then I don't know how it happened, Mike, (laughs) but somebody goes, um, and it may not have even been one of those two. Somebody goes, I forgot how it came up and it's going to, it's going to kill me. But somebody said, you mean, uh, it's like they like, hey, you know he uh you know he goes by Evo Mike, right? And it was kind of like this weird comment and he kind of like looked around I was like, Evo Mike. Why? <laughs> and I just I didn't I didn't know you at all at the time. I was like, why just go by Evo Mike? And it was like, I don't know. I was like, Well, it seems like a nice guy. It just kind of stuck in my head. <laughs> so when I met you, I was talking, and in the back of my head I'm thinking, So why is he Evo Mike? Seems like a nice guy. So cool. whatever, um, but now, now I know you and for people who are going to check out your profile or see your name show up on my, my, um, uh, my, my, description of you or whatever, where does that come from? Evil Mike, did I ever tell you, you told me, and I've, I've kind of forgotten about it from our initial meeting. It was a long time ago. Cause it's been like, what, well longer years now 2006 so oh god it's
1: yeah it's it's almost 15 years Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah it was january so it's like almost 16 years so yeah it's been a while uh yeah pretty often people ask me i kind of deflect i'm like what do you think and i give them a day or something to think about it but okay yeah um i think that name kind of came in my 20s i'm not i don't even remember how i got the name but it's for Ebony Mike it was still back when I was in Germany, but I was kind of somehow really gotten into black culture. Mm-hmm. And so I somehow ended up with this name. I don't know how, why, but that's the name I had and I kind of stuck with it. And now I'm really embrace it in every possible way. Like even at Google, you can pick your username. So if you write to Ebony at google.com, that's me,
0: that's my work email address. Awesome. Now, is that, was that a, did that go over well in Germany? I don't know how, how the situation it. there. Yeah, I mean, they don't get much of it anyway.
1: So okay. it just flies over people's heads. During my childhood, I was Milka. And that name I got from one of my sisters. Milano. Well, yeah. Which is the name of a chocolate brand in Germany.
2: Okay.
0: A chocolate brand. Now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> You can look it up. It's actually delicious. Never uh, I gotta I gotta try it out. Um, I don't get I don't get enough uh, foreign confections anymore. Uh, I used to, when I was when I was working in games or wherever, I uh, just run into people who had stuff and um, I'd end up eating it. So uh, And there was that little restaurant by Rockstar Games, uh Tiptop Meats. Of course, yes, exactly. So I'd try stuff from there too. Excellent place, put, put me on no. a lot of interesting stuff. They're still around. So when you were at, um, when you were a rock star, uh, you get there, you've got this methodology of, at, from when I know you, I've always known you to have the ideology, methodology, the, the credo of just do it. Cause I remember right. people would stand around, they'd be talking about something and you would just cut through the cloud of the discussion cut through all the nonsense and BS and say, mm-hmm. sounds good. Do it. Well, tomorrow we're going to have to, yeah, do it. Okay. Well, let's call, um, him over and we'll get him over here and make sure that you do it. And I love that about you because it's the interesting little thing that sits in your head and we know when you're coming around, I don't, you, you probably may not recognize this, but when people see you coming around, they're like, all right, he's coming. I got to do something. Mm. Uh, <laughs> when did you start
2: putting that into play it's funny i think
1: i remember having this catchphrase let's do it like as early as when i was maybe 10 or so back in germany even but to me back then it was just like an empty phrase but i must have said it a lot because i was in a chess club and at some point the uh chess club owner gave me this little statue of this guy that had like let's do it just um Written on. So, for some reason, I have this phrase forever, but this mentality of doing something needs to be done. And I had that pretty early on. Maybe it comes to working at um, little third party developers. Like in 99, I worked at a company that made a uh, mission possible for PlayStation 1, and we were six people. That's the whole company. And naturally, I mean, stuff needs to get done. You only have six people, you can't push it at anybody else. So I just end up picking up a lot of stuff that needs to be done. Like something needs to be done. Sure. I'll just do it. Yeah. And then I stuck with that. And Even a bigger company is like Midway. I like we used alien brain, which is, I don't know if you know, alien brains, like a version of the whole and it was mm-hmm. atrocious. And it was so bad at some point, I just wrote a bunch of scripts and stuff to convert everything to Perforce because it just helped the company a lot it, it was never, I was never even scheduled to do it, but I just did it. And in the end, it helped everybody a lot. Yeah. Same thing with, uh, like they had this archaic system to lock the code base by sending an email and saying, hey, I'm about to commit something. Nobody else committed anything. Right. So I wrote a tool that is in your system tray that you can use to just lock the code base. Again, it just, it needed to be done. And I just yeah. did it.
0: And I think even now, I'm. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I totally like that, and I know for me at least that causes frustrations, and uh, I, not for you, but for a lot of other people, just coming in there and doing something can really throw a lot of people off. What, what do you think that's about?
2: Um, I don't know. I feel.
1: Maybe Mattel, my metal is different from
2: many others in that I feel like, you know, it is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a sense of, um, stuff just needs to be done
1: and it's justified means in a way. So it doesn't matter who does something, but it needs to be done. So let's
0: do it. Yeah. I think we've, uh, I don't, I don't know what's happened and, um, I've actually really softened myself up since, uh, going into, going into the college experience, going into my early years of work. I used to be very, listen, uh, I did this. Don't bother me. Uh, if it doesn't work, we'll change it. Don't worry about your ego. We don't care. No one cares. I would just get in there and start doing things and kind of expected that of others. And I had to actually pull back a bit, quite a bit. And, um, it's weird now because I think I messed myself up in a bit where I have a, I've been working on my marketing and socialization and getting out there and, you know, being friendly with people. Now it turns them off because they don't expect me to all of a sudden stop and say, all right, we're just going to do it. We're just going to get in there. And so I'm really having a problem with just the, the cultural pushback to being uncomfortable with going forward, doing things, which seems to be better for people, but they just have this discomfort. You know what I mean?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Um,
1: it's uncomfortable in in both directions For, for me, it's like, when I see something needs to be done and nobody else picks it up, I'm like, okay, what was wrong? Why is nobody doing something? It frustrates me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the same way, they frustrate others that I have this urge to just do everything. Like at Google, every project has like an on-call, a rotating on-call where somebody's turn for a week to just make sure everything works right. Mm-hmm. And pretty often when something happens, I end up doing it because on-call doesn't respond quickly enough. I just I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll just do it. Right. And it really frustrates me because I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be doing this stuff. But in the end, I do it because it has to be
2: done.
0: Yeah. Now I, I know for at least for me, um, I've gotten used to the short term uncomfortable nature and people accepting me over the long term. So if I frustrate somebody for a week, it's okay because we're much closer. We're much further along and we're much better off a month down the line, two months down the line. And, you know, we can, and now people come to expect that from me. They're like, don't worry about it. That's just Benjamin doing whatever he does or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, there were people we weren't, we weren't supposed to talk to in at rockstar um well not we weren't supposed to it just wasn't in the flow of things Mm -hmm. um i have nothing bad to say about them but there were just certain patterns that people followed and when you broke those patterns it was like you know people were like oh oh, he's breaking the pattern um it has that has that gotten easier for you? you have you gotten to a place of understanding with look i'm just going to do this and i want people to know that like, how, how do you deal with that now, your, your, your workflow? I think
2: um, when you go against
1: the flow and you disrupt something, you expect people to just adjust, but they don't. And I guess for me, it's just um, changing my expectations. I'm just saying, well, it's just my flow is different. And people are not going to accept it. And that's just how it is. And I just can't my
0: thing. Go ahead. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people will actually actively push back on your flow, even if it's something that they, that they want, you know what I mean? You ever get that?
2: Mm, not so much. I wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't say people actually push back against it. It's more like people just say, yeah, mm, weird, but whatever you do, it. you do you. And they just do their thing. I do mine. And. But I haven't gotten pushed back in a way.
0: Okay. Oh yeah, we we might need to amp up your assholery a little bit to uh, get back from foot. <laughs> get that oh, really back. We <laughs> Uh no, I, I love it. I uh, I actually wore wore a shirt to work one day that said that, and I got told to take it off. So it just <laughs> just just asshole in my shirt. So I was like, oh. all right. <laughs> um now aside from aside from programming though uh you continue to create in in other ways which was fascinating to me uh, because i always like to see people that are doing things on different parallels so you're also a photographer uh film direct and a film director where did those two come into play it's
2: yeah most of the things that define me now were kind of established really early on i mean i started
1: Programming when I was eight, and I started playing with film cameras when I was eight. Then photography kind of also came along the way. Like my dad took lots of pictures, and he kind of showed me some things. So it's kind of, it's been with me the, the whole time, and it just stuck with me. Like maybe for example, it was back before phones had cameras on them. I always had a camera in my pocket. Always carried a camera with me, and I took pictures of stuff going on in the office. I was famous for that. I'm like, oh, here's the guy with the camera. And in retrospect now, I mean, I cherish my pictures because um, there are so many moments that would have almost been lost, had enough of pictures to, you know, keep them around. Sometimes I just randomly look at the old pictures and, and relive those moments. And I kind of forgot a lot about my childhood. And I'm kind of frustrated there's no pictures of what happened back then, because I generally don't remember lots of things that happened back then. And at the same time, I think when I'm old and busted and just like drool and sit in, the wheel, in a rocking chair or something, I'm gonna, I think what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna put on the VR headset and just watch, just look at old pictures, like 24 seven. I just look at things from the past and relive them. Yeah. Cause really pictures are what takes a moment and makes it,
2: um, eternal. Yeah, I was on this. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I, I was I uh, was fascinated by not just your not just your photography and uh, photo collection, but you actually had the the website going on where you could you could plow through all the photos you had created, and I was like, this dude <laughs> in there making stuff happen in a way that's just it. I I, I dug it because it actually reminds me now like what I do with Google Photos.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I switched to Google Photos
1: now, but yeah, I wrote my own little photo management system to keep track of my pictures and the important things I tagged every single picture by hand so I could just search for all pictures with that person or that location or that thing. And I've done it so many times, like I was just, you know, somewhere talking to people, and we had a random conversation about something that happened. I'm like, hold on, I just took my phone, and I just entered like, um, name of this person, name of this person, name of this object, and brings up a picture. I'm like, Oh, yeah, here's a picture of that. And people love that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, so cool. You got a picture. And it's, I mean, it's so awesome to be able to show something or relive something from the past. And so it's really important to be able to just bring up pictures from very specific moments you're talking about and yeah i mean i wrote this picture database back in 98 it was so got the tech the technology
0: behind it was like ridiculous but it worked <laughs> yeah no it did I, I was terribly fascinated by it do you think that uh like now where we are in uh in time you talked about putting on the vr headset and you know just maybe flying through your own little metaverse of photos and whatever um yeah are, are you you're i i would assume that you're kind of happy all of this is here and we have access to all of this how How are you feeling about like the uh the technology and um yeah even like this metaverse discussion that's been going on how are you feeling about that
1: i mean technology Joe. i embrace it i love everything i love that google photos able to identify people identify objects and kind of make assumptions about where something is taken so I can just make a query and it just tells me all the pictures. I mean, I've used it so many times and it's fantastic. Now metaverse, I mean, okay, I have some choice words about Zuckerberg. So a metaverse specifically, I don't know how I feel about that. But VR in general, I love. So yeah, I mean, the technology itself is amazing. So I love the place we're in right now that we are able to store terabytes worth of pictures and access them like within seconds, I love to be able to have VR with almost fully realistic graphics. I mean, there's so much stuff you can do I'm digging it.
0: Yeah. It's good stuff. No, it's, ac- it's pretty fascinating. And I speak, speaking of like Google photos, I actually tried a random query, uh, I, I did, I haven't like research what it, what it could do, what the parameters were or anything like that, but I know that I'd been going to art galleries for, for years. And I just had all these pictures of paintings that I, I had taken and I was on Google photos one day. I was like, Hmm, red paintings and boom, you know, just a screen full of red paintings came up and that's when my mind kind of exploded. Like, holy crap, here we are. Right, right.
1: I mean, my own system, I wrote, you have to, you have to tag everything by hand. Mm-hmm. On one hand, it was good because you could, it was reliable. Like, even if you saw somebody's head from the, like in a corner from the back, I tagged it and it worked. But at the same time, Google Photos can tag things you don't think about, like a color, like you said, or some random object somewhere. So, and it saves you lots of time too. It just tags everything it can identify It it's so convenient. I I love tech. I mean, tech saves you a lot of time, which is something really important to me and gives you all these possibilities, like looking for things, looking for a combination of things, like Mm -hmm. find red paintings or red cars, and it's able to do that for you.
0: uh, Is there any point of it that starts to get out of control? I think people are starting to worry about these AI systems uh the 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 tagging the the pre pre cognitive kind of thoughts where it's like oh you must want to buy this because whatever algorithm we're running uh says you should be buying this and so forth. Does any of that concern you?
1: Yes and no. I mean I don't share this vision that AI is gonna go out of control and just become sent because no AI does what you tell it to if you AI is you train the system to recognize or classify certain things. Mm-hmm. Like you give it a list of docs and it gives you dogs. You give it a, you know, you tell it to go to war, it goes to war, but it doesn't really do things on its own by and large. Of course, it's... you can use AI to, you know, extrapolate data that's kind of yeah. If you're unscrupulous, yeah, you can do some bad things. You can kind of go pretty deep into somebody's privacy. I mean, for example, there's a company that um, harvests data. They go through all the public profiles on Facebook, take the names and Mm -hmm. take the pictures and create a database of faces and names and sell that. Yeah. So if your Facebook profile has your real name and your picture, then you are in the database and it could be considerably used to identify you in any random picture.
0: But there's that, and that's, that's not so right now. I mean, the unscrupulous types are there and that is, that is one area of concern always just, you know, um, the unscrupulous people, but then there's this idea that technology starts to get to a place where it's more, uh, it's a bit out of control. Like we start just doing stuff and we don't have the proper, uh, social or structural systems in place to stop us in time before something bad goes wrong. If that makes any sense where we just start, Hey, let's put this AI system out there, let's put this face recognition thing out there. Let's put, you know, we start putting all these tools out there and somehow we start to end up in a, in a bad place. So I think a silly, silly example, not silly, but, uh, one example was when Microsoft created their AI, Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, I learned from people and people are trash. So it's trash. Right. But that's ultimately my concern. I'm not worried about tech. I'm worried about people. Right. Like tech by itself. Not that big of an issue, but people, they do bad things. People using tech to bad, bad, bad things is worse because tech makes bad people more efficient and effective.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually on your your side with that. I kind of, like, I agree with, uh, the, the Zuckerberg slash Facebook credo of move fast and break things. You know, you get in there, you try to figure stuff out. And what's funny is when I heard that being parroted back on the news and in a lot of the media where they were saying break things, they took that to mean, well, don't just put out like the, the, the idea of, of that I thought was always to put stuff out. If something goes wrong, like a, you know, wheel falls off your car or whatever, you stop, you fix it and go on. And then the windshield cracks, you fix that and keep going. That's what I was thinking about when, you know, move fast and break things. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to figure out the problems along the way. But what's funny is what I heard from people who aren't into technology, who are, um, just out there speaking about it, it makes it sound like move fast and, you know, destroy whatever is in your way, kind of break things. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) There's this whole other line of thought out there that's not technology based. That's, um, you know, fomenting all these fears and, uh, weird ideas about things. So I don't know if that means. Yeah, but
1: there, there's a third interpretation or a third possibility, which is mm-hmm. break up by accident, which you're familiar with Google buzz, right? Google buzz mm-hmm. was, um, Google's first attempt at social media before Google Plus. And, um, they kind of opted everybody in and they automatically made everybody friends with people they contacted with so like uh, divorced um <laughs> like women who were divorced yeah all friends with like their ex-husbands who were abusive uh, yeah. and the yeah pretty bad things happened and actually google got a uh, pretty swift kick in the ass from i think the ftc and they had to um implement some that were required to implement some privacy regulations that we now have to apply to every single thing we do. But yeah, there's the, you know, break things part, which doesn't necessarily mean like your software is broken. It means your procedures are broken, like your privacy protections are broken. Yeah. And that is a big concern when, you know, you actually cause harm, not because you intended to, just because you didn't mm -hmm. think it through. Because you moved fast and you broke something. And in this case means, yeah, you did something that actually caused somebody to, you know, be harassed by somebody or something like that. Yeah. So is that interpretation? Right. Which is equally bad.
0: Yeah, I don't, um, I think there needs to be in general more education out there about what about the processes of technology, I think a lot of people and a lot of, uh, institutions just try to put forth this, Hey, here's a computer. It can do your taxes. Hey, here's, you know, and it's not to a lot of people, it's not something that should be embraced and kind of understood. It's just this tool that sits over there. But I think a lot of the underlying processes and a lot of the, the thought, the thought structures, um the ways of thinking about things that technology brings you. I think that's necessary for society. I'm pretty sure you agree with this also. Um, but yeah, even by the way you, uh, you know, you've, you've shown me what you've, um, what you've introduced to your children, you know, so like the idea of technology and putting it forward in that way, um. I don't know if like you 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 have your your kids in school now. Are you seeing the the STEM programs? Are they up to your up to par? Or, or how 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 are you seeing things from um, from that public education point of view? I guess they're okay.
2: I think I still. I'm almost gonna say they're in the infancy still. Okay,
1: I think they should start a lot earlier and. Just go more in depth about tech. I think the last two years, at least, you know, after COVID, everything went online. Mm-hmm. And that kind of pushed um, schools a lot more to be online and to require technology. Like the last school year, my kids had to do everything, they had to create PowerPoint or Google Slides presentations. So it got them closer into, into tech. But I think there's still a lot missing in public schools about how to handle online, how to handle, how to, you know, how to handle yourself online and what to watch out for. There's just a lot that they're not really dealing with it or even programming. I mean, I think programming should be a part, just basically should be part of the curriculum, but there's really nothing like that. Yeah. The only thing we even close is my daughter right now is on elective in high school, like game design. And even that is kind of like pretty weak, to be honest. Yeah. Like, so what do they do. So there, there's a lot they could do.
2: And
1: yeah, I think it's going to take a while until they get to where they
0: should be. So when you say it's a, it, it's kind of weak, they're just scratching the surface. They're mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. really not. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: They have computer room, but it's.
0: Yeah, there's not much going on. there's a room there's computers in it but pretty much no real computing happening yeah (laughs) yeah um it's it's interesting um coming from a technological background uh I remember you know my my parents were trying to figure out something for me to do after school and I ended up in the computer lab and what I didn't know is My parents cut a deal with the people in the computer labs. Like, listen, he's just going to sit in the corner and mess around on the computer and he'll be there. And they're like, okay, well, the computer lab is closed from these hours. Like, listen, I can't, we can't have him running around school. Just put him in the computer lab. Trust us. He'll be fine. You know? And they were like, okay. Um, and years later now I, I found out that, you know, that was my little after school program that my parents cut a deal with the computer club, not computer club, the computer, um, room owners at the, at the school at the time. So it's, it's odd to me almost when I see people who are just doing things and they don't have that technological understanding, even though so much of our world is being pushed by technology now. So. I guess I kind of get it when I see stuff on the news or I see people complaining about how come this isn't working. It's like, well, because you haven't taken the proper, you know, even not even computer-wise, just the proper mental steps that technology would have taught you. So, you know, person meet real world technology, real world technology meet person. This is how it works. So yeah, it's a, it's bizarre, but. I totally agree. The pandemic has sped things out, um, in a good way. So that's one of the good things come out of it. Right. Right. And I mean, at least now they have to use
1: computers, uh, productively. They have to create something with them. They have to write assignments and Google docs they have to write, They have to create, um, presentations Google slides. It's great. That's a good start, but there's a lot more to it that they should also be teaching. Not to mention, you know, what to watch out for when you're online. There's like so many basic guidelines and rules that it never bring up. So I think there should be a curriculum. There should be like a whole class about it. But just talk about it.
0: Yeah. I actually think that with the advancement of technology, we've, we've grown past that, uh, rough point, uh, where you kind of had to. Like when I was coming up, if you really wanted to play Doom or Quake in the proper way on your PC, you were breaking out the config.6, uh, you know, autoexec.bat and you were doing the custom mm. boot files and everything and all that kind of jazz at the very least, you know what I mean? And right, right. we had, if you really wanted to do something in, in, in windows a certain way, you'd have to, you know, break out the, um you know, the registry once in a while and say, okay, you need to turn this and this off, but be careful, blah, blah, blah. And there were things you would stumble upon that you really had to learn the system. And what's interesting now is we've gotten to the point where we're covering that up more and more to the point where Apple put out their, their, um, their commercial, you know, what is a computer? I don't know if you saw that commercial. I'm not there's a fascinating commercial, where this this young girl is running around, she's editing videos, she's taking pictures, and she's doing it all on her iPad, right? And she goes over to like a friend's house, where her her friend's mother is kind of you know um, fixing up the house, and the, the little girl is kind of playing on her on her iPad while her friend mother's just fixing up the house, and at one point. The mother, the friend's mother, goes, "Hey, so, uh, so I see you got your new computer there. Uh, what, what are you, what are you doing on it? On your new computer." And the little kid, this total hipster kid, uh, looks up or barely looks up. And she's like, "What's a computer?" And it kind of blew my mind. I was like, "Oh my gosh, they, they've glossed everything over so much that you don't even need to know this stuff." And now I wonder actually wonder if we're, we're losing some of that edge. And like, as you said, some of this, you know, STEM programs you're talking about, they're very surface level. So seeing that commercial, you got to watch that if you haven't seen it. I got to check it out. Yeah. But yeah, things are getting
1: more high level. I mean, back in the days, everybody, like if you had a PC, you had to configure your IRQs. If you have new hardware, Mm -hmm. I don't remember those days. Yeah, you don't do that anymore. It's like so much of a low level stuff is just gone now, um, which is okay. It's just, it's kind of like, you know, now everybody can, everybody writes stuff on the computer, but nobody knows how, how to write stuff with pen and paper anymore. Yeah. But I feel like you still need to know the basics. You got to know your basics. If you know all the layers on top, you got to know your basics because at some point you have to fall back to those. There's going to be a point when you have to go back to the lowest level and do something, if you don't know it and you're, you're screwed. So I feel like that's actually a common problem. Now people just start on the top and they don't know what's underneath. Yeah. So once you scratch the surface, there's a big
2: unknown that they don't understand.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. And I was, ah, here's a good transition. I was actually introduced to that concept outside of technology by a physical trainer. Um, and I know you're into, uh, you're you're into health doing the the tough mother, mother thing, mutter. And I had a physical trainer in, um, when I was in the Bay area working for 3DO. And I, I I was thinking, all right, we're going to, we're going to have this crazy program. We're going to get in the elliptical and do all this. And the trainer was like, listen, what do you really want to know? I was like, well, I want to know this, this, and this. And they were like, do you really want to know? Because I could put you through this glossy program or you could actually learn something and I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess I want to learn something. And it was like the basics of, okay, these are, you know, th- this is your kind of muscle system and you you know. If you do a proper push-up and I'm thinking, did I, am I paying a personal trainer to learn how to do push-ups and why, you know, no, 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 see when your arms are closer together and this and that versus how you do it this way. And, you know, let's go for a little jog. What about the treadmills? And like, no, no, let's just go, go for a quick jog in the front. I want to show you. And taking it back to the basics, just understanding how all that stuff builds up to what, the advanced levels are talking about or what the current technology is doing. I kind of didn't see it until I ended up working with the physical trainer. You know what I mean? Right. So on the technology side, it all kind of made sense, but then I started looking at that with everything. I'm like, oh, so the your physical side, the, you know, creative side, uh, the art, the writing anything else you could take it back to the basics and it's a really fundamental thing um and I think that you got that pretty down and uh or pretty well understood across a lot of disciplines so uh, that that's one thing I've definitely noted you for in my little notebook of all right this guy knows something about getting back to the basics and just doing it but as I said you ran uh the Tough mutter. How did you, what made you decide to do that? Well, actually, could you explain it really quickly? First of all, what that is? So these kind of mud runs, there's a Spartan race, there's Tough
1: Mud and others. They're basically races, um, different durations. Like Tough Mud is usually 10 miles and the terrain is often pretty tough. It goes the downhill, there's pretty crazy things. They leave obstacles. Obstacles could be, you have to climb a 10 foot wall, it could be you have to carry a heavy rock. Tough on a particular sorts of obstacles that just, you know, fuck with you. Like one is you have to jump into ice cold water and submerge yourself. One is you get shocked with like 10,000 volts. And one is you have to jump <laughs> from 15 I, I, feet.
0: I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know the part
1: about getting shocked. I knew the other one. Well, that's the best part. That's always at the end. It's like, have. Yeah, i will show you've the picture. It's like, you're looking at like tons of wires. Mm-hmm. and half of them carry 10,000 volts and you have to run through them. And yeah, it, it saps the fuck out of you. It just stings for like a second, but that second was like, holy shit, uh, yeah. it's fun. And I don't know if you remember Rachel um, at Rockstar, I think if she was after your time, she she tried to go through really slowly. She was careful. She just got zapped left. I just run through it, oh, which again is uh, I think is Forward is in a way. It again is a whole do it part. It means, okay, in front of you are wires that shock you and hurt you. You can go through them carefully, try to avoid them, but you can't because there's so many of them. Or you could just suck it up and just run through it. And that's my mentality. I'm like, okay, there's something in front of me and it sucks. It needs to be done. So do it. And we're back to do it. So these wires, I, I like the obstacle, because again, it kind of reminds me, if there's something you need to do, you may as well just get it over with. That hurts less than trying to drag it out and, you know, slowly go through it, because you can't. It's going to suck. It will hurt you. Do it, and then it's over. Would you first do those? Uh, the first one was a Spartan that was in 2012, I did it with John Diaz. Right. Um, uh, yeah, and, um, David Counts and Dan Archer. The first Spartan was 2013, that was, um, you remember Raul, counseled artist? No, I don't. And Hurtado and Adrian, we did that and I've been doing them since. I've done 18 so far. I got a big one coming up in May in Philly, that one is going to be like 10 hours and you do three laps. So it's going to be 50 kilometers, going to be like 30
2: something miles. Yeah. Was this your first time doing anything like that? The 2012 one? Yes. Yeah,
1: I've been running before that. I mean, again, in my youth, I was, I was like a fucking nerd. I didn't do much sports. I did box on my teens. Other than that, I didn't do anything. So I was, yeah, I, I think my sister-in-law kind of inspired me. She did marathons forever mm-hmm. and she got us to run a 5k and a 10k, a half marathon and a full marathon. So I got into the whole running part, but at some point I got bored. of it feels running, it's just like, you know, it's just running and I know it gets boring after a while and I don't know who got us into the Spartan. it may have been it may have been Diaz, but. Somebody brought it up like, hey, let's just try it. And we did the Spartan in LA. It was a 5k. It was like, you know, three miles and we mm-hmm. tried it. It was interesting. It was fun. So I just got a taste of it. And then we tried the Tough Mudder, which was 10 miles and it was fun. And I got hooked. And I think one I talked about to a buddy of mine, um, 20 something years ago, we we're talking about a jackass. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, why are they doing that? Why are they like hurting themselves? And I mean, of course, to get paid. But why else? And we're like, maybe it's so if you are alive, you feel you're still here. And I think that's a big part for me. It's like, I feel alive, I, I feel free. I'm like, jumping in mud, crawling through mud. And it, it's just it's so
0: different from your everyday life. It just feels good. You know, I, I, w- I want to say, uh, I, I, I agree with you, but I, there's a little bit of uh masochism in there that, <laughs> that, that helps push us forward and toughen us up. Um, it's like really the idea of, Hey, I'm going on a run, there's going to be a lot of people there. It's going to be this happy little run. And at some point you say, you know what, screw this. I need to carry a large, heavy boulder and run through electric wires and, uh, you know, climb walls, uh, <laughs> crawl through the mud. There's a certain jump in your mind that says this, this clearly isn't enough for me, I need to go further. Uh, and I, right. I love, I love that, that I don't even know what to call that little breaking point, but, um, R- Raph. Raph doesn't call it this, but he always says it. He's just sitting around and suddenly he'll go, this is bullshit.
2: (laughs) But I mean, it's masochism at the same time. Mm -hmm. Working is masochism because you're
1: just dealing with other shit. But, and the other thing is, after you've done with your race, you're like, I still got it. And you get this feeling, I still got it. And you just feel good about yourself. And you're like, you know, it's been years. I'm like, in my mid forties. All the people say they're like old oh, and busted at forty. I'm like, "No, I still got it. Yeah, and that's my main takeaway. I still got it. and it just feels good, and it lasts. It's like a feeling it lasts for for a while.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is about that um that breakthrough kind of just jump in and uh, do it kind of thing. It's the maybe the exploratory. Nature of not just the outside world, but yourself as well, because I think you really come to an understanding of who you are and uh, a, cl- a clarity on your existence. If that makes any sense, right?
1: And and this, the um, favorite story is where I got the me. It was my Hawaii Ultra Beast. That was the toughest I've done so far. It was twenty six miles and fifty obstacles, like crazy hard. And after mile fifteen, I was done. I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I stopped running. I was walking. And point I couldn't walk anymore. I was just fucking lying on the ground. People walk past me like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just resting. Like, I walked a little bit. I lay down. I'm like, okay, this is bullshit. I'm out. So I'm like, okay, next water station, I'm gonna just ask him to call me, uh, to call me right back to a starting line because I'm done. I can't, I can't walk anymore. So I walk to the next water station. I walk up to the person. I'm about to ask him like, okay, yo, call me a cab. All of a sudden I hear like, Hey, Michael. And it was like this person I met once. She's a friend of my sister-in-law, like she built <laughs> over her blue cap. we're in fucking Hawaii. I don't yeah. have anybody around here. Yeah. And she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm not good. Dude, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I gotta quit because I, I can't do this anymore. She's like, you can't quit. You always tell people to go. And I was so weird. she's yeah. like, you can't quit. You no, always it. tell your assistant she can, she, she needs to keep going. So you gotta keep going. I'm like, okay. And so I just walked with her and now I was walking the entire time. Sometimes I was faster than her and I finished. It took yeah. me 13 hours. I finished. And that taught me like, okay, is this is all in your head. Yeah. Like, and that really, that was one of the most formative things I had happened to me. And that just keeps me going. when I think I'm tired and I think, okay, I can't do this anymore. I, I keep going because I realize,
2: no, this is all in your head. Definitely. Do you, um,
0: do you know who, uh, David Goggins is? I do not. All right, He might be worth looking into. Um, between, uh, David Goggins, uh, David Blaine, uh, certain other, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, certain people who just push, right. Uh, Um, I've come to this understanding and I'm definitely not saying anybody should do anything that I do or, or you do here, but you get to a certain point and the, the alarm bells, the notifications in your body start telling you things. And there's some gray area where you're just getting a warning and you're actually in danger of something, if you know what I mean. So Mm -hmm. at some point, you know, you get like a little, a little warning. That's like, Hey, uh, we're, we're the, we're the hamstrings. We're gonna, we're hurting. We're going to send you some messages here, but you're not really in danger of really damaging yourself. You're just getting that early warning signal and pushing through that and letting your, your body know, your mind know, you know, all, all your facilities are getting together to say, okay, we're actually going there. We're actually going to do this. Well, let's turn off the warning system for a second and keep pushing through it because We've all made the decision, you know, the legs, the heart, cardiovascular system, mind, everybody gets together and says, oh, well, we're just doing this now. We're not pulling off to the side of the road. We've got some person in Hawaii telling us to keep going. We got to do it. So yeah, listening to those guys got me on another level and trying different things, figuring out, no, I can push through this. I'm probably only hitting 40% to 60% of what I'm really capable of. And until I get to the, the higher levels, I'm not really damaging myself. I'm just frustrating the system. I'm just pushing the system, stretching it out a little bit. So I think that makes sense to people like you and me. Um, right? Right. just that little extra bit of push. So, yeah, David Goggins. Um, you should definitely check him out. I think you might like him.
1: I gotta give a shout out to Brian. He's I think he's on right now. He's my boxing coach. He is basically like that. Like he, he's like okay, thirty more seconds and you're done. Thirty more seconds later, he's like okay, another minute. I'm like you, (laughs) (laughs) mother. But yeah, he, he just you know makes us. Reach for this extra little bit of reserve, yeah, because he knows we have it.
0: Yeah it's it's kind of a, it's kind of amazing. I don't know where that comes from, um, but I've, I've noticed it in all aspects, and I really started hitting on that when when I was doing uh, video game development. Uh, that's where it first started really hitting me. That I mean, and we're not talking about like the college adrenaline that was just out of control, um, but consciously saying. You know what uh i've got x y and z to do i can do this i can push through it um and really really quickly here i do also want to thank uh got boxing b scott wash dory altona bagelomat america's most blunted who is that uh, pete's friend the wizard khalifa <laughs> adam greg d uh Miss Alice, Dappy, uh CCP. We got a lot of good people here. Uh thank you all for coming through and of course Tara Veda, eight oh eight. Cool, man. Um wife. Yes. Lovely person, lovely person. Um so yeah, as 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 we're uh going out of here, we're at we're at one twelve here, just so you, uh you know. Already. Yes. We can keep going for a little while long. We're we're good. So, uh, I got time. Okay. So one thing I did want to know about with a lot of people seeing the, the, um, machine side, you know, you just get in, you do things, you work at Google, but you've also got this other side. That's a very creative side. And I, I realized that when you were doing the creating the films and you were doing the writing for those films as well. So. Tell us a
2: little bit about your film work. All right. um, Again, it's something I really started pretty early on. Like
1: Mm -hmm. I started playing with cameras when I was a little kid and I started just writing stories in my teens. Mm -hmm. Again, they were trash, but I just did it. And I've always wanted to make films in, in, I think, in my 20s with a good friend of mine, we did some little stuff in this home camera. It was a bit cool. One, one thing we actually shown in the film festival, mm-hmm. but um, I think one of the people who really inspired me was Kanta Mesa, like the lead designer at RDR. Mm-hmm. He made a short film in 2006. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I really should be doing that too. And then I made my first real short film in 2013 or so? I forgot. I think 13. And yeah, right now I'm about to wrap up number four and I just finished the first draft of going to number five nice. and it's just, yeah, it's a great experience and you know, funny thing is for the longest time I thought, you know, my filmmaking is kind of my, it complements my programming, which is very technical, but I realized that no, programming is also very creative. Of course forming a one on the one hand is just technical you have a lot of really structured technical things mm-hmm. you use rigid thinking you have logical concepts but there are also lots of creative things you have to do because in the end in a film you have scenes that are supposed to convey something you you're trying to convey like a mood or an action or something and a good director does it really efficiently like you could have a character talk for like five minutes, explain how they feel. Or you could just have like a certain facial expression and you could show some visuals in the background, certain color schemes, images. So a good director can efficiently convey a lot of stuff subconsciously. Now in programming, you have your functions, right? You have all these functions have a purpose. And there are so many different ways if you're high level enough to do something that a function needs to do, like a function could go through a thousand different objects and um, try to look at scan here, every single one of them and try to do something. Or you can use a much better algorithm or different way of doing It's it much more efficient. Kind of like, you, could, you can do a scene, you can convey something very efficiently, you can write a code, you can write a function very efficiently.
0: Yeah. And, um, I mean, so, so you guys just started making the, these parallels as you were getting into the, the, the filmmaking process. Yeah.
1: I mean, it actually came to me pretty recently, like filmmaking and programming. There are parallels in terms of how you have to approach it. You have to have ideas like a filmmaking pretty often. I'm just somewhere just fucking around. All of a sudden I have this idea for a scene, like, how can I convey it properly. How, what image can I use to convey something? And with programming, it's the same way. Like in RDR, I did lots, lots of work on the streaming system to load all the data as you're like riding on a horse. And we always had a problem with streaming being too slow. And sometimes so, and sometimes I wasn't even at work. I was somewhere. and I had this idea like, you know, you could, instead of streaming all the all the stuff in a circle around the player, you can kind of predict where the player is going to be in a few seconds and stream everything around there. So you just have to find an idea on how to convey what you're trying to do. And it's not really technical, it's really a creative thing. You have to have an idea.
2: How do you get this across? How do you do this? Yeah. So well, would you then... go ahead? Oh, go...
0: No, 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 oh, go ahead. Face the thought. Okay. All right. Um, so with uh, now, at, what drew you though to um, the filmmaking? Were you? I mean, you said you had a camera, but I know a lot of kids who had cameras and didn't start like actually getting into the the filmmaking. Um, for some reason, I understand prog- getting into programming a little better, but. You know what it is? I think for me, um, with a camera and having to film things, it meant I had to deal with people. And as a kid, I wasn't into, um, I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm over here with my computer. Um, I'm over here with my video game system. So unless you're talking about hooking up the multi-tap and playing a multiplayer game, uh, I don't need to deal with people, but a camera naturally kind of invites people into the scene. So maybe that was it for me. I'm just kind of thinking about it in my head. But for you, you know, with the camera and everything, is there something, and you said this with photography, you're capturing a moment, you're um, recording something, but with a film, you're doing a little more storytelling, right? Right.
1: Yeah, for me, it is a lot about just telling a story. I like telling stories and Film, of course, is a fantastic medium to tell stories, because it's so rich. You have so many different ways to tell your story. You got your visuals, you got your sound, you got dialogue, everything. So it's an, it's an amazing medium to get something across. Um, yeah, I, myself, I love movies. I love yeah. the movies I made. I like to look at movies and see how this is made. I'm fascinated by how some directors get something across. And I'm like, I want to do this too. I want to be able to express these emotions, to express these things. And of course, in a way, it's also just processing things on my own. I mean, if you look at the stuff I'm writing and like three of the films I made, including the one I'm doing right now, are father-son stories. Mm -hmm. And one is a husband-wife story. So clearly I'm like processing things on in myself, yeah. in a way. I think.
0: No, I, I I think it helps, definitely. Um, I uh, I write a lot of short stories, and I have a little writing group out here in uh, the Long Beach area. And once we were all sitting down, going over, just, we had, like, all of us had our little stacks of one, two, seven-page short stories or whatever. And my friend goes, she picks one up and goes, you know what? I think this one really represents you. And I was kinda of like, Oh, okay, in what way? Well, blah 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 XYZ. I'm like, all right, this that that's cool. And I'm like, why'd you pick that one? And she looks at me like, Well, I mean, you know, you were kinda of acting like that in our last meeting. I was like, Oh, well, okay. And she's like, But yeah, for for like yesterday or I mean for when we were talking over email, you were acting more like this guy. And she was like saying, she was basically saying, no, 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 you're, I, I see that you're all of these different characters, you're all of these different people, and these are all your different perspectives. And I hadn't had anybody consciously kind of look at me and say, oh no, this, that, that, that's you, see when you get mad and pissed off, this, that, that's that character all the time. And I don't know if, uh, if I've tried to to actually consciously do that. I kind of realize it somewhere in the process that I'm working things out. I'm talking through things with this expression, but I don't know of a, I think that's one of the things that a lot of creators share, right? They're getting their ideas out they um, expressing in a way that's talking to themselves, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah.
1: And I mean, it's probably I'm a bad writer, but when I look at the dialogue of my scripts, I realize a lot of things these people say are things that I say a lot, so
2: I bring myself into those scripts quite a bunch.
0: So when you're, um, so what's your, what's your process when you come up with this fear, what's your starting point? For, or not just a script, uh, maybe a film or a short or concept. Usually a rough idea of
2: just what really
1: roughly was about it. It could be just a scene. Sometimes I just have one scene. I mm-hmm. uh, just work my way from there. And it's weird, weird, because sometimes I have a scene and I just leave it for weeks, and months, and all of a sudden I go back to it. And I write like four or five pages worth or more, and it is nothing for weeks. It just comes in spurts. But yeah, I usually don't have like a complete picture at first. I just have some random ideas and I connect the dots eventually. Okay.
0: I think with, um, uh, that messiness of creativity, I think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable when they get into a lot of creative endeavors where you have to actually create something. Um, What's up, Love Steam? Uh, Where you actually have to create something, that uncomfortable nature. How do you... I, I I, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but where you have something unformed and you realize you've got to jump in, do it, get started. How do you turn that uncomfortable feeling into fuel to go forward? if that makes any sense. Like, how do you embrace it? For me, it's really tight.
1: Sometimes I just leave something for months. And at some point, I just all of a sudden get this sudden idea like, Hey, I could do this, I could do that. It just comes to me. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not feeling it, I just leave it alone. I'm like, Okay, I'm not creative right now. I can't, I can't do it. And I probably would be a shitty hired writer because I couldn't meet any deadlines. Hmm. But since I can take all the time in the world, I'm like, okay, I'll just, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not even touching it. Right. I can't, I I can't do anything with it right now. I don't know how to make it better. I, maybe I can't make it better. So I just leave it alone. And all of a sudden, a week, many weeks later, I'm like, oh, you know what? That would work. And it just, at some point it just comes to me.
0: So do you, do you journal at all? No, I should, but no. So I am, I know you photo journal. I'll put that in a separate category. Um, but I started, uh, I was in a work situation and somebody from one of my writing friends said, uh, you should start journaling. And it's one of those things you hear about for so long. You're just like, yeah, dude, what the F ever journaling. Um, sure. But I actually started trying it. And, uh, thanks to the notes application on my phone, you know, something would go weird or something would go good or something would just go bad, weird, good, any direction. And if I had a moment, like I was standing in line or I was doing something, I say, you know what, I'm going to jot that thought down. I'm going to, okay, this guy did this and this and that. And over time I started getting the realization of how to hold on to Memories, feelings, thoughts, things that excited me about certain things. And I took that into my development. So later on, like when uh, developing table tennis and uh, stuff for Red Dead Redemption, I was in the habit of like picking out that one little feeling and that one little excerpt of life and saying, you know what? We could actually put this in the game. We could actually build something around this. So at that point, that journaling practice, it just made me narrow down and think about these little bits of, of time, these little slices of life. And I, I brought up, up journaling and a uh, photo journaling because I've recently just started, you know, doing a photo journal kind of thing where. I'll, and I guess I was doing it with sketchbooks, but I would actually take a picture of something and, you know, have a little note with it. Like, Hey, this is that time when whatever happened, or this is the part where that dog ran at me and I had to jump back in my car. You know, and you just start remembering these little things and the photo journaling has actually taken me to another area of my creativity. Um, so anybody listening i don't know journaling it's one of those dumb ideas that uh you know high schoolers are told to do that actually works very well so i would totally recommend it
1: i like it i mean for me i just write something down like an idea for something like i mean see something get an idea for a scene or a random quote or something in a film but yeah journaling is A different approach, which probably complements it.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think most of it ends up being, I don't want to say wasted, but it's not so much that you're going to use all of this stuff that you're journaling or you're going to remember it. It's just the practice of, Hey, this is a slice of time. This is a certain aspect, a certain vibe. Boom. I've cataloged it. This is a certain aspect of vibe, whatever, boom, catalog it. And when you go back and look through it, you can remember it so much better. You, you're basically externalizing, you know, a part of your brain to this book of notes or whatever, and as you flip through it, some of them, you're like, oh yeah, I wrote that. And some, some where it's like, if it's this two in the morning and I've had my, uh, you know, peanut butter whiskey or whatever. And I'm like, holy crap. Did I write that? That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience, uh, where you just the brilliance jumps at you from some weird situation.
1: I had those moments when I see something I've done or written a while back and I remember it all I'm like, Oh yeah, this is actually, that's interesting. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so funny. I had those moments. I did that. I just. Happens sometimes Yeah, my, I think my biggest concern with journaling is it's a probably big signal to noise, you know, your ratio, signal signal to noise ratio is going to be a little bit out of whack, depending on how much you write in your journals, but you may end up with a lot of stuff that you have to revisit and you only get a little bit out of it.
0: You know, I think that little bit is what it's about actually. Yeah. It, you know, and I, I didn't get that until, and I don't have a good analogy for it. I'm sitting here trying to think of an analogy of like, well, you know, if you make a bunch of stars, you know, or painting a bunch of dots on a canvas or something. And all of a sudden, you know, one of those dots is slightly off color or looks whatever and everybody seems drawn to it. You're like, really that one? Okay. Hold on a second. I've got a star field here and this is the important one, but I've got a whole canvas full of dots. I don't know. Um, but I think that waste, that exercise is kind of part of the process. And I don't know how to properly clarify that now, but, um, you know, I've, uh, I've done little Instagram lives where I've shown my stack of sketchbooks and it's just massive amounts of stuff that I'll never use, never care about. And, you know, back to technology, I think that freedom of creating something that you're not necessarily going to use, that you're not necessarily going to, um, you know, act upon gives you a certain amount of freedom to just keep putting it out there. You know what I mean? I mean, we're talking about like, what do
1: I love about tech these days? And yeah, one thing I love is that these days we can take as many pictures as we want back in the days. You had to pay for every single picture you took on your little film roll. Yeah, We had you know 36 pictures. So now we can create as much noise as we want. You can take as many pictures as we want and you can take those few that are actually good. Same thing with your journal. You can write as much as you want and you can get that little nugget that's good out of it. So that is great. The only problem for me is I try to optimize for time because I just don't feel like I have a lot of time. So mm. if I have a lot of stuff to go through to find the little nuggets of you know, little good parts that may be pre- prohibitively expensive. Right, right. I just don't have the time to go through all the stuff I wrote to find those bits that were good, even though, yeah, that, that is a great way to get those few little golden gold pieces that you want for whatever creative thing you do. Because it just takes a few things. It takes a few really awesome things and you, everything else you can fill.
0: So how do you get into a flow state? Um and uh, I guess I'll define flow state really quickly here. Just a getting into the zone where you're basically you're basically riding on your bike, you're in a situation where you're not thinking about the handlebars, the seat, the pedaling. You're just moving along in this great output state where you're just firing on all cylinders. How do you get into that state? Because you're talking about, um, being, uh, efficient with time, you optimize what you're doing and when you get into the flow state, you're pretty much, you- you're cutting a lot of extra stuff out that your conscious mind doesn't have to think about, so how do you get into that flow state or?
1: Yeah, that that's a great question because that's really the state you want to be in as much as you can. And I mean, in all creative endeavors, like both programming and writing screenplays and everything else, that's a state you can't force. Like there are days when I'm saying, hey, it would be awesome today if I could write some stuff in my app or if I could get two more pages on my screenplay ready. But if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. And I realized I just need to basically make right turns at intersections. So if I have a red light, I don't try to push through. I just do something else. So I try to write some code. And if I'm, if I realize, okay, today I'm just not in the zone. I can't write code. Maybe I can write my screenplay, So I go to my screenplay. It doesn't work. I go to my film, maybe I can edit something. Mm-hmm. I just try something. And if I'm feeling it, then all of a sudden it just happens. And I'm like, okay, it just flows.
0: So you're but, to keep the energy going.
1: Yeah. But I have to find, I have to find how to channel it and. Honestly, I had problems with it. I had lots of problems. I haven't. I had lots of nights when I'm like, Okay, what am I gonna do? I want to code. I want to write, I want to edit, what do I do? And I mean, the fallback is I can work out. That always works. But yeah, I, I would like to find a way to get into that zone. But there doesn't really seem to be an easy way. I mean, some people say, Hey, you just smoke a blunt or something, but I don't know, that doesn't seem to work. So I don't know. I'm still looking for a way to force the zone for me right now. The way I do this, I just wait for it. Hmm. I just look for where the zone is. And if I find it,
0: i will embrace it. If I
1: can't find it, I do something else.
0: Do you, uh, do you bring any random elements into your, into your, uh, Personal laboratory or whatever to try to spark something.
1: Um, one thing I think that helps sometimes is just a change of scenery. Mm-hmm. Like instead of going to your room where your computer is, you can take a laptop and go somewhere else. You can even drive somewhere. You can drive to the beach or something and try to write code there. I've done that a couple times, and sometimes it works. But yeah, many times. I'm just out in the zone and whatever I try, it just doesn't work. It's more like a mental thing. It doesn't matter what my environment is like. If my mind isn't there,
0: can't force it. No, I don't, I don't think you can force the zone. I like what you were, um, you're getting at. I, I personally have like a, just a series of techniques that I, I start into like, well, Hey, maybe I can go work out or do something different. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've taken to, to YouTube now, um, mm-hmm. a lot of ways where something I already do a lot of, or I kind of am familiar with, I'll just go to YouTube and say, um, you know, weird yoga exercises or best yoga exercises for whatever. And I'm like, and I will always find some, some, some person somewhere who's doing something weird. I'm like, huh, all right, I'll try that. And every so often, there's just something that kind of throws me off my normal pattern. And it does one of two things to me is it gets me in a place where like, I like what that offered me or I yeah, don't like what it offered me. And I understand what I was doing before much better. So it works in either pushing me in a slightly new direction or validating that my current direction is, is pretty good. So yeah, I I try to do that wherever I can, even little, little purchases from Amazon. Like, you know what? I've never used whatever style of pen. Let me just order this $4 box of pins and see if it changes my writing, you know? And yeah, there's a lot of waste there back to the whole waste thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can get around the waste part of it, but I think that the, the gains kind of outweigh, um. The cost of doing business, if you will, right, right.
1: I mean, it definitely helps just shake things up, yeah, do something.
0: Rock, especially because uh, go ahead. Uh, no, it's uh, shaking things up. Um, the hanging out with the the rock star design guys, learning a lot from them. They were all about shaking it up and saying, "Hey, where's your next idea coming from?" well, we were going to, yeah, yeah, you probably got that from some other game or this and that. Where is it coming from inside you? You're like,
2: ah,
0: you know, you just can't like squeeze the idea or a new concept out of something. So they had this way and I I totally love them for this. Um, They had this way of pushing each other to uh, pull from their lives, pull from their experiences, pull from, you know, all all these different areas. And force you to try to make something out of it, even if it wasn't going to be good or not. and I know it was I know I was finally hitting on it when they started acknowledging like, oh yeah, no, you're gonna you're gonna try this out. It's not gonna work. that's fine. The fact that we're trying something out, wasting and doing that, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm at a corporate setting and you're talking about are you I mean they never said the word waste, but that whole experimentation process was like, oh, okay. I'm going to try something out. I'm probably going to piss off this programmer. Who's like, you're wasting my time. Um, I'm probably going to piss off this artist who was like, I just made these textures, what do you mean you're not going to use them? You know, there's this whole little dance of just trying stuff out. And that's one of the things that I definitely picked up from them, how to waste with the most efficiency.
2: I like that yeah yeah for me i mean
1: sometimes i try something but at the same time sometimes i'm thinking like okay if i'm not not in the zone i just don't even try i'm like okay instead i should get some rest and hope that tomorrow the rest is going to help me be in a more creative mood because pretty often i feel like i'm not creative because i don't get enough sleep so there's that if i if i say okay i'm just gonna force myself now to do something i'm gonna just spend three four hours just staring at the screen and trying to write some code or trying to write a page of, of a screenplay i mean i mean in effect just wasting that time and i'm tired again next day i feel just i feel as shitty as it did the same day the day before mm-hmm. so sometimes it feels like it's better to acknowledge okay today is not, not a creative day Today, as a result, I do something else I try
2: again tomorrow. So, you, uh, yeah, do you get yeah. good sleep? Not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well between five and seven
1: hours, I think.
0: So, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. That's reasonable. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, for me, um, when I really got my my sleep kind of under control. Then I noticed a lot of the creativity opening up. So the creativity is kind of was paired along with good sleep. And then the, the more robotic side where I would just come in. I'm like, All right, I have to plow through whatever of something. Um, then it's like, I could, I could zone in kind of forsake sleep for a couple weeks at a time. And then but I had to get back into a normal rhythm. So right now I'm trying to maintain like a, a moderate 7.5 in most things that I do out of 10, where if I just keep maintaining that, um, then I don't have these crazy dips down into like, you know, the, the twos and the threes where, you know, I'm crashed for an entire week or whatever, because I, I blew my system out or something, um. So yeah, I've just been trying to maintain this consistency and I don't know, it gets kind of Zen and weird, but I've been feeling a lot better about that. Maybe it's just the stage that I'm at,
2: you know? Consistency helps a lot. I think
0: habits, consistency,
1: and for sleep, do you remember Percival physics programmer, Robert Yeah, like, yeah, he did, he tried this, um, sleep pattern where you sleep, um, like a half hour every four hours. Mm -hmm. So it adds up to, I don't know, three hours a day or so. But you're supposedly because of how it's spaced out. It kind of, you get lots of deep sleep. And he did it for a while. He said he was functional, but he lost all creativity.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, I tried that, actually. um, A method of that. I got it from uh, Thomas Edison, I think, was doing sleep experiments where he's trying to go through all these different permutations of, uh, of, of, uh, materials and ways of doing things for his, uh, for his inventions. And he had this whole little catnap kind of system that he was going in where, yeah, knock out for like a half hour, 35 minutes, wake up, do all this, send some letters out, talk to the engineers, go back to sleep. And he was doing that for a while. Um, but for like that really deep work. For me at least, I know that I need some um, good sleep. And I when I say good sleep, I mean periods of time where I just, you know, knock the fuck out. And you know, I wake up, you know, eat a muffin, walk around the house, hmm, and then knock the fuck out again for another three hour nap. So I don't I don't know what that's about and I think everybody's sleep is a little different, but yeah i def- de- definitely depending on what I'm doing, I will change the mode of my sleep to match it so <laughs> yeah that makes sense so yeah um yeah, but consistency you know with with sleep and everything else is really good um, with uh with where we are right now it's in fact speaking of sleep and everything the and I guess we can kind of uh finish up on this and and, um any other topic that you might want to jump on to before we close out let me know but one thing that's really been extremely subtle but i guess not so subtle is the role of social media in the way i think like i turn off all my notifications basically (laughs) and you know i only check uh facebook and instagram at certain times um Like people are like, oh man, how are you online all the time? And it's like, look, I I kind of pile this stuff up. I batch process a lot of my social media where it's like um, I have intention about I'm going to go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I'm going to send these types of tweets, you know, just bang everything out. Then close the program then go cook dinner. Then I come back and like start replying. So I had this process where I'm not constantly kind of getting those little micro elements taken out of my headspace. That has been a seriously major change for me where I, I didn't realize how much it was, I don't want to say damaging, but I didn't realize how much it was just chipping away at my, um, mental fortitude.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I feel you. And I think for me, it's probably worse because I believe I have ADHD. Mm -hmm. So my mind just like goes off in random directions. If, if I'm like writing code at work and I have to wait for it to compile or something, I just switch to Facebook and all of a sudden I'm, I'm in Facebook world and I forget all about what's going on. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I'm at work. I'm supposed to be working. So yeah, I, I feel what you're saying. You have these distractions and especially in the creative field, I think distractions are really bad because they call the context switch like you're in a zone and if something takes you out of the zone it takes you a while to get back in yeah which is also where i love working from home because sometimes at work people come to my desk and talk to me i'm like who the fuck are you you ever heard of email <laughs> and it just takes me out of the zone and being at home is nice because that doesn't happen so well, it's
0: yeah a lot of people can't deal with that at home though because they're thinking Maybe I should go, uh, you know, check on the dog. Maybe I should go outside and ask the neighbor if, and then there's too many home distractions, so, um, it's interesting hearing that, you know, you get more, you get fewer distractions at home. Yeah, it, it works that way. I mean, especially now because the
1: kids are in school, so most of the day they're just out of the house and, um, yeah, Julie just, she knows that, you know, I'm working mm-hmm. so she doesn't come in with random shit except if it's something good like if she does brings brings me something with something nice and for myself I just crank up the music and just loan out and I mean Google you know measures m- measures a lot of stuff like you have graphs of how many lines of code you write and stuff just for your own just I don't they just like to have numbers of everything and I can see this marked difference between before COVID and after COVID. My numbers just shot up at everything. Like I was mm. measurably more productive. Yeah. And I feel like it's a lot because of the environment, because of fewer distractions. Like not many people around me. I don't hear people talk. Nobody comes to my desk.
2: And yeah, for me, I think that is very beneficial.
0: Mm. So uh do you... um do you prefer the, I don't know, open floor plans? Uh, I know this doesn't work oh, very long. Oh, fuck no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And because that,
1: because open floor plan means you have all these distractions, you have people around you, you have voices around you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the only nice thing is you don't feel confined. And at my most recent seat I had to work was like, you know, giant window seat. I could see the nature preserve in front of me. That was awesome. Yeah. But. Yeah, at the same time you hear people talk. So I always had to have headphones on. You had people come to your desk. And yeah, so for me, being at home is definitely better. Or having had an office would have been better too. Nice.
0: Yeah, the, uh, we just got something from Ross, Rastafari, Ross Um
1: Do you it? think Google will stick with the work from home? Yeah, we have the option. We can request work from home 100%. So if you don't request it, starting mid-January you're supposed to come back to the office three days a week but if you request it you can move wherever the hell you want and work remotely and it gets approved as long as you know your manager thinks it's okay which depends on like if you work in hardware for example they probably say you have to be in the office but okay in my case my boss already said um if i wanted to work from home full-time i could request it and it would be granted and i We'll most likely do it, especially because the Amazon's 50 miles away from where I am.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where do you, uh, if, it, I don't, I don't know if you can, uh, how much you can tell me, well, what are you working on? Uh, I could say stuff. Uh, it's actually okay. not very exciting. It's but not but, that exciting,
1: especially be, go ahead.
0: I was about to say, um, you know, just maybe the department or general direction of what you're, uh, doing over there
1: roughly the support department so we have all the tools for anything support related like okay tools that customer support users and it was actually pretty interesting i thought i mean it sounds really fucking boring but it's like yeah it does we use machine learning it does <laughs> but i i came to it. we use machine learning to kind of like you know take i want to go too much in detail about machine machine learning to mm-hmm. you know take stuff and figure out stuff from that and just automate lots of things. And so it's really interesting problems. Yeah, much more than I thought. So it's, it's cool.
0: Does it have a different feel that you're working on something quote unquote, real world instead of a virtual experience, like with the game? Yeah, in many ways. I mean,
1: it, with games, you have something, you make it and at some point it's done and then there's a big news article and you can go to a store, you can see the game you made, which is awesome. You can hold it in your hands. Um, with Google, it's like my previous project was something somebody asked me for, long, for long time. I'm like, hey, Google has that. And I showed them the website I'm working on at Google, which is also kind of tangible, just in a different way. And um, One different to, difference to games is like it keeps on moving and developing like games. I mean, even if you think about DLC and stuff, still games have like one moment when the game ships, and that's it. Yeah, and the projects at Google, by and large, they just continuously evolve, which is a different mindset. Which also kind of takes away the whole pressure you have in games, where it's all about the launch date. Like right, right. Uh, EA in Florida, uh, Tiburon, they had the big clock on the wall with the countdown, <laughs> the number of seconds until Madden ships. We don't have that shit. Yeah. yeah. We just push a new, a new build every day and that's it. So every day we have a new, a new launch, if you will. So it's just a different mindset.
0: Yeah. I actually, um, interned with 3M and I got to create, uh, this little internal, internal website where. I, just basically scraped a bunch of information from other internal websites and put them on this nice little page. And I was like, Hey, just click here and here are the team members and who's working on what, blah, blah, It's kind of an organizational thing. Um, we didn't have a wiki at the time. They were just like, Hey, listen, you're uh you're a janky little intern. Just throw this together so we can have a place where we can get our information. And it's like, cool. And it was this rolling process. And I know what you mean now because, uh it was a rolling process. It wasn't like a big launch or anything. And at some point somebody, uh, my manager comes up and says, Hey, we're going to start, we're going to start using this for, uh, external communications. I'm like, wait, what? You know, so it's not just the the people like downstairs on the third floor or the people over in building B. I was like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to connect this to the external people so they can, you know, do whatever else, and it was like I'm nervous because I'm thinking I'm still in the I'm in the launch mindset, right? Or we got to make a game, make a product, make a this and that. And they were, they're like, no, 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 don't worry, it's going to be all good. We're going to have some people come up and they'll talk to you, and we'll just make this change over here. It was so re- relaxing in a way, just because, yeah, you 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 were able to kind of move along at a consistent pace, as we were talking about before. So yeah, I, I, I get that. That's, um, wow. I couldn't imagine working like that all the time though. That's weird. I like it. Uh, so we got another one from Rastafari here. How's machine learning altered the development landscape?
1: Um, I mean, Google is all about machine learning. Like at some point, a few years ago, they kind of recommended that every single employee take a machine learning class so we can find ways to apply it. And yeah, right now, the project I did last year, used machine learning, the project I'm doing right now, is is machine learning. Yeah, it's, it is pretty cool because it does give you a lot of new, a lot of opportunities and things that we never really could do before. Like what you mentioned earlier, Google Photos, like, automatically tagging things and detecting things. I mean, all of this machine learning is like really cool features. Sometimes I feel like machine learning is a bit of a solution for, and you have to find a problem for it. Again, especially at Google, because it is so cool when like, an intelligence first company, sometimes it feels like they want you to find a problem to solve with machine learning. But still it is, it is a pretty cool thing, pretty powerful thing.
0: Right. And you're, uh, and of course you're over there. Um, do they still have the, what is it, 20% time? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, and started some for those for those of, uh, who don't know, um, the 20% time is, as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically, you know, you work 80, uh, 80% of the time on whatever your assigned task project is. And then 20% of the time you get to work on a project of your own design or own choosing at least.
1: Yeah, actually you can choose, you can do your own project or you can just go somewhere else. So four years ago, I did a 20% where just, uh, created a new debugging system for Edward studio, but I just never finished it. <clears throat> so. But yeah, I had the option to, and I did it, and it was pretty cool. And after COVID, I actually 20% on the Google classroom project. So I just, yeah, you know, I figured like everybody's using Google classroom during COVID, like yeah. my kids in schools are using it. And even my kids Karate Dojo was using it to submit like videos of katas and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. This is like really useful. I'm working right here so I can help out. So I jumped in and I helped out I 20% on Google classroom. And that was cool. And I actually got to launch a feature that made it for the school year
0: of 2020. Nice. So, yeah, that's what exists. Is that something that, um, does that happen like on a certain day? Like, you know, this is my day for that. Or, um, how, how did it work out the 20%? That's interesting.
1: I mean, Google's generally not really micromanaging that much. It's not like you have to work on this here on Monday from eight to six or whatever. It's really just get your shit done. Okay. And that's all. Get your shit done. And if you get a shit done, you can 20% and get something else done. So there's no hard and fast rule and what you have to work on, what, and when. It's really just uh, you talk to your leads about what it is you're going to accomplish. And that's what you do. Right. And there's a
0: lot of flexibility in how you get it done, what you do. Cool, cool. Sound, that sounds great, man. I like uh, I like the sound of that. I like that 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 freedom, that exploratory uh, mindset that's implemented. Um, so- that, that's a gu- cool thing, just real quick, because
1: Google has so many people right now—one hundred fifty thousand full-time employees—and you have all these people, and a lot of our tools that we use right now are just like tools that people randomly made because they felt like you know. Those would be cool. And they just wrote something in their free time and it was cool. And in the end, they got somebody to fund it officially and that became an official Google product. Uh, Name of you. Um, I mean, lots of internal tools, of course, but also Gmail. Yeah. Uh, I think both Gmail and Google Maps were just random things. People just 20% of it for the fuck of it. And they became now, you know, mainstays. Like, flagship products of Google.
0: Oh, that is that is excellent. I'd like to see more people take a not just in their professional lives, but even in their personal life. It's like having these little projects definitely make a difference. So
1: another nice thing is, um, they also allow you to do your own thing at home. Because that's actually you can't take that for granted. Like, uh, I think certain other companies, they wouldn't allow you to do any side projects at all in your pretty much all tech companies and game companies in your work contract, it says anything you do at any time belongs to the company. Right. And at least within Google, you can say, hey, I'm writing this here. I'm doing this project. It doesn't compete with anything Google does. And if it's approved, you can keep the copyright, you can sell it, and you can
0: do whatever the hell you want with it. That's pretty amazing, actually. I like that.
1: I actually Yeah, I have my own LLC. I just got my trademark approved today the Evo entertainment, the one you made a logo for. Yeah, so yeah, it's officially trademarked now. And yeah, so I can, I do write apps on the site
0: and I can make money with them. That's very cool. Very cool. Alright, so we have uh, just hit the the second hour mark. And I, I totally want to be respectful of your time here and everything. Um, Really quickly, is there anything that we should be checking out or looking into um, movies, technologies or something that's on your mind that we should be looking for or getting into?
1: I mean, in general, if you just care about the stuff we talked about today, mm-hmm. if you follow my Twitter and Instagram, there's just random pictures of all the things we talked about today. As for stuff to look forward to, I can't point to anything specific, although I do want to get back into making games on the side, VR games mostly. So maybe I will talk about something soon if there's more to talk about right now. I just have a bunch of ideas and if I have the time, I'll make something
0: and let you guys know we're going to, uh, we're going to make the Evo verse the uh
1: <laughs>
0: the Creehan verse
1: <laughs> i like the evil verse
0: yeah yeah Well, very cool man uh i think this has been this has been good i, I learned a lot about you here um uh, came went across a lot of good subjects i think you know definitely um i'll definitely take away some of the flow elements of this um uh, and if i ever do a tough mutter i'll be contacting you should you know um how to shock myself into, uh, pushing myself a little harder. Definitely.
1: You should, it's formative. You should do it.
0: All right, do, do it. That's, that's the word that ends the song. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. Well, uh, once again, man, I thank you so much. Uh, good talking to you. Good seeing you. Um, congratulations on everything you're doing. I'm, I'm proud of you. Glad to have known you, glad to have known you, glad to know you, um, and really appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. And likewise. You're, you're inspiration. You're an inspiration. Okay, cool. And we'll have to do this again, definitely. So yeah. uh, so be aware after I run through the first run of people, um, I just, I'm just i going to probably contact you again, maybe see if you want to come on talk about something specific now that we've done kind of the introductory one so we can do a deep dive on some other topic. So if you ever have the, the, the vibe to talk about something, just make sure you let me know. All good? All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Mike.
2: Thank you. Take care.
0: Peace. Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. You all make everything I do possible, and I really do appreciate it. So even if you've got me on social, please visit mrbenja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right. I'll see you next time. Peace.